It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast. The Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Talk Radio. Julia Hartley Brewer at breakfast on Talk Radio. Good morning to you. This is Talk Radio Breakfast with me, Julia Hartley Brewer. Delighted to welcome my next guest now, Housing Communities and Local Government Secretary Robert Jenrick. Good morning to you, sir. Hi, good morning, Julia. Good morning. Now, I know today you're announcing uh, more efforts to keep rough sleepers safe this winter. What's that? What does that involve? Well, at the start of the pandemic, we launched the Everyone In programme, which helped 90% of those people sleeping on our streets into safer accommodation. And we've used the summer to plan how we can manage the autumn and winter, which we all know is going to be very tricky in many respects. And so we're going to be doing a number of things. We've produced guidance in accordance with the Chief Medical Officer and Public Health England to help us to keep open night shelters as a last resort. And we've provided over £700 million to councils now to plan how they can keep as many of those people as possible in safe and secure accommodation. We want to eliminate rough sleeping over the course of this parliament, but this winter in particular, we've got to protect these vulnerable people from the virus. Okay, well, we know an awful lot of those people very grateful to have uh, somewhere a roof over their head. Uh, Many others of us, many millions of us, are we grateful to get out of our homes? Uh, We had the announcement of the three different tiers, medium, high and very high risk tiers. Uh, Liverpool region uh, put into the top tier. But 22 million people, a third of the population, facing local lockdown restrictions. Another 9 million in London possibly facing them very, very soon. Um, Is there any evidence that any of these measures are actually going to prevent loss of life in the long term? Yes, objectively, measures which reduce the rate of transmission between individuals will help us to flatten the curve and bear down on the rate of infection. It's a virus that thrives on human interaction. So unfortunately, the types of measures we need to implement are ones which reduce the contact we have with other people. We don't take any of these decisions lightly. Uh, that we have to take a balanced judgment between protecting the NHS and people's lives and protecting the other things that you and I also care about, like people's livelihoods and our freedoms. Okay, I I don't want to protect the NHS. I want the NHS to protect me. Why do we protect the NHS? The NHS had never hit capacity, even in, in March and April at the peak. Why are we still trying to protect the NHS? Why aren't we protecting all the people, say, the three million people who missed out on a cancer screening this year and the 350,000 of those who haven't even been urgently referred uh, uh, when they should have uh, gone for that cancer screening and then found out they have problems? Why are we still protecting an institution rather than the people it's meant to serve? Well, protecting the NHS is not just about 
protecting it from COVID cases. It's about enabling that extra capacity to sort out other conditions, elective surgeries, cancer cases, all the things that you're referring to. Why are we protecting the NHS from COVID cases? That's the point of the NHS, to be there when we have disease. Well, we're protecting members of the public so that they can always have access to the care. When did, when did people not get access to care they need? We never. We, we always had enough well, capacity. Julia, One of the great successes that, of your government of, was building the capacity. The yeah, well, we've done that. That's because of the steps that... We, well, we did that. We, we did that in March. We built up the capacity. I would say, I, I, all, I gave all if credit. Only, if, well, if only you were correct, Julian, that COVID had passed. I Actually, we're no, still living with No, when did I say that? When did I well, say that? You said, you said we've done that. No, well, we you said we built up capacity. We built up... Ca- to protect Sorry, the Secretary of State, I never said COVID had passed. COVID is a very, very, very deadly infectious disease we need to take very, very seriously and I follow all the laws and all the measures. At no point did I suggest that. Um, you, you're saying we have to protect the NHS. I'm saying we did that. We built up capacity. Nottingham Hospitals, I would say, a magnificent achievement by the government and the NHS to do so, to build up capacity. We did that. The point was flattening the curve. My initial question to you was, what evidence is there that this will prevent loss of life long term? You talked about flattening the curve. That just means the same number of people die, but over a longer period. What evidence is there that any of these measures is going to save lives in the long run? Well, to your point on the NHS, in the places where we're taking particular action today, like Merseyside, there is, I'm afraid, mounting evidence that the local hospitals are coming under strain. More and more hospitalizations uh, are occurring. And the advice that we received from the local NHS in those places was that action was now needed to prevent those hospitals from being put in an impossible situation. That's why we're taking these steps. This is a balanced judgment. We could go further. There are uh, scientific and uh, medical opinions, you know, of individuals who we respect, mm-hmm. who would like us to go significantly further than the steps that we've announced already. But we are taking a balanced view, trying to ensure that we bear down on the virus, but also protecting people's okay. livelihoods and, and wider freedoms, right. exactly but, as I think you would wish us to do. Well, no, it's not what I would wish you to do, because I, I think that you've got the balance wrong. And, and Boris Johnson yesterday, your boss, framed this as a choice between a full lockdown or let it rip. No one sensible is saying let it rip. Uh, we're talking about shielding the most vulnerable and the elderly instead of having policies which affect those who are very low risk. So, for instance, the 10pm curfew, we saw from the SAGE report uh, last night, and all those documents were released an hour after the press conference, the curfew is is unlikely to have a marginal impact. They also said that the £12 billion test and trace programme has had only a marginal impact on transmission. We seem to have an awful lot of policies which affect millions of people, telling people to self-isolate and all that, which don't seem to be having an effect. If we are going to have evidence-based policies that are going to aim to save lives, isn't it about time we started looking at the evidence? Well, we do follow the evidence. A number of the steps that we've taken individually have a modest impact, but collectively make a difference. We've seen that in the past with masks, for example, where the advice was that alone, their impact was limited, but together with other uh, measures, they can have a real impact. And that's, that, that is the difficult choice that we have to make, to bring together a package of robust measures that can help us to bear down on the virus while still trying to protect employment and education and our wider freedoms. Okay, and, and, and what is the exit strategy? When, when does this carry on until? When are we going to stop trying to protect the NHS and suppress the virus? Well, we want to continue doing this until we have a vaccine or are able to have other scientific uh, developments like rapid testing, for example, which will enable us to return to a greater degree of normality. But the localised approach that the Prime Minister has set out this week 
is designed to enable us to have particular measures in those places not, where it's not the very local. Twenty-two million people, a third of the population, living under restricted measures. Uh, possibly another nine it? million Londoners. I mean, very soon, very soon, it's going to be the best part of half of the country. It's not really local lockdown measures, is it? Well, the alternative to a localised approach is blanket measures across the whole of the country. And that would not make sense at present because there are such wide variations in the number of cases from as low as 20 or 30 per 100,000 in rural parts of the West Country to almost 1,000 per 100,000 in some of our great cities like Nottingham. So a proportionate but localised approach is the right way forward. And that's what the Prime Minister set out this week. And and lesser until we get a vaccine. And if we don't get a vaccine, we'll just carry on doing this for how many years? Well, not necessarily until we have a vaccine. Uh, But that is one route out of this, which would enable us to protect the population and to return to a degree of normality. Online, on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Let's off much to, after much to and froing, finally talk to the Shadow Health Secretary, Jonathan Ashworth, who joins us now. Good morning to you, Jonathan. Good morning. I am so <laughs> sorry, for, but I've left the best to last. I, that's the only way of thinking of it. Thank you very much. We're very glad we got you to join us. Right then. OK, um, so um, let's, let's find out where Labour is standing on all of this. We've, we've had the Prime Minister saying what he's going to do. We've had tiers one, two and three announced. We know what, what the medium, high and very risk areas are. We found out what SAGE wanted to do in terms of a full circuit breaker lockdown. Um, what does Labour think the government should do? Well, I think that we 
uh, we supported the restrictions that were announced yesterday, although I think they probably should go further. I think there is evidence that uh, hospitality contributes to the growth in the virus and the virus prevalence of the virus is increasing. We're seeing more admissions to hospitals, more admissions to critical care. I need to we need to understand why the government have rejected the scientific advice uh, that they were given. And I'll be asking Matt Hancock right in the House of Commons later today, this afternoon. Uh, I personally, well, I support the closure of pubs and bars in Merseyside. I personally would have gone further. Uh, uh, well, would you burn them down? What, what, what's going further? No, than I wouldn't that? have burned them down. No, because um, I'm uh, uh, I'm not an arsonist, but I probably would have closed them in other parts of the country as well. Because I think, look, for me, we know what social interaction is driving the increase in the virus because we've not got a decent testing and tracing system in place. They should have fixed it months ago. They didn't. So we are where we are now. And we've lost control of the virus. Sorry, it's a bit noisy here. Yeah. Just have you, when, when you say we've lost the control of the... We haven't lost control of the virus. Yes, I mean, we, we, what, on what basis do you make that claim? Because the virus is growing now uh, and it's accelerating in parts of the north. So I'm just trying to walk to a place that is less... No worries. Um, the virus is accelerating. No, it's uh, not. No, no, no. no. Actually, there's lots of evidence, even in Liverpool, the highest tier area, that actually the growth is plateauing. No, no, clearly, we hospital um, admissions are on the increase. Yes, in as they always are every autumn. And they are, uh, yeah, but for COVID, and, uh, admissions into critical care across the northeast, the northwest, and Yorkshire are increasing for COVID. It's actually, and actually, it's disproportionately impacting poorest people as well they're in, they're in disproportionate numbers in the critical care statistics so i'm afraid i do think the virus is accelerating and i do think we need to see tougher action now to take the virus okay. the virus is the, the facts look we, we, we get to choose our own opinions but in our own you know risk averseness or not but we don't get to choose our own facts the virus is increasing of course it is as it, as you'd expect any respiratory illness to increase in the autumn months um and as more people are out and about of course it would but it's not it, there is lots of evidence that actually the, it was increasing at an increasing rate but that that rate of increase is now slowing down as it has done in france and many other countries in europe as well i want to go back to what you you said about um not following sage's advice um if sage themselves have said for instance like the 10 p.m curfew likely to have very marginal impact if sage themselves have said and probably sorry public health england have said that only three to five percent of transmissions of the virus have happened in hospitality venues why do you think that's enough evidence to close down hospitality venues lose all those businesses and lose all those jobs because, well, first of all, I don't want to lose businesses and jobs. I think the government should do a proper financial package to support those businesses and uh, 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 businesses and jobs. So, and the government could do that. I don't think the financial package is adequate. But, but the problem we've got is that look, the, we know the virus gets into a house from somewhere. It doesn't come down the chimney like Father Christmas. You bring people bring it into the house and they pass it on to their family members. Now, now they either bring it in through their workplace getting on public transport or for their children going to school and picking up their kids we should not close schools that has to be a red line we can't close down public transport networks uh we can't close down people's places of work although we are obviously encouraging people to work from home where they can so you've got to pull a lever and the only lever that is left to pull is hospitality so that is why i support what has been done and we know of course that you know drinking means people you know not, not all people, obviously, but a lot of people lose their inhibitions after a drink and therefore the social distancing rules break down. So I would go further and I, uh, and I support what the government have done 
in Merseyside. Okay. Have you been to, or any of your colleagues in the front bench, Low Party, have you been to the bars in the House of Commons or any other pubs or bars uh, in, in the last few weeks? Uh I have in the House of Commons, uh, yeah. I mean, well, why are you doing that? If that's such, if you consider to be hospitality, be such a big risk. If London is apparently teetering, as we keep being told, on on moving into uh, a high risk, uh, the tier two category, what are you doing? Being so irresponsible, going to a pub? You've just told us that they're dangerous places. Well, I've not. I've uh, well because at that point, at the it was allowed, but I would recommend now. Well, it's allowed now. I, well, I would recommend. Well, yeah. Well, I've not been to a. I've not been to a bar or a pub where it's. Um, no, I'm not, no, I'm not accusing you of breaking the law, Jonathan. I wouldn't expect that. I'm simply saying that if you consider these places to be so dangerous, why would you be going to one yourself? Other than the fact that you, as I've asked cabinet ministers before, have actually been able to go to a bar or a pub or a restaurant and sit at a table, not not break any of the laws, not, not put anyone else at risk or yourself at risk and carry on. So why are we talking about shutting down people's chances to socialise, to have a night out, to have a bit of a break from their, from their, their working day? and their lives at home um, when, when we're you and I are apparently uniquely capable of going to a pub without infecting somebody is it just that you don't trust the rest of the public no, we're not, well, no you and I are not uniquely capable of not infecting people but what you do is you take measures uh, and interventions when the virus is at a particular prevalence and I think the virus is at a particular prevalence now in parts of the country so where hospitality I'm afraid ought to close down that is the issue so the virus uh, wasn't at a particular prevalence in uh, um, you know, in, in late August, early September, uh, but it's at a different prevalence now. So that is why I think these additional interventions okay. are necessary because you take interventions depending on where you are and where the R is and where the overall positivity rate is. Uh, otherwise, you'd keep everything locked down forever, which obviously is not in the interest well, of the economy or people's mental health. Well, that is the big worry a lot of people have, is the Prime Minister was asked yesterday by Steve Baker, the Tory backbench MP, about vaccine. And by when does the Prime Minister expect to have a, a, the vulnerable population vaccinated? And what confidence does he have in that date? The Prime Minister said he can't give a date. And he said, talk about SARS and how 18 years on from SARS and other coronavirus, we still don't have a vaccine. Even allowing, of course, that we know that far more effort and time and billions and resources have gone into trying to develop a vaccine uh, for uh, coronavirus, uh, COVID-19. He said there's a good chance of a vaccine, but we, it cannot be taken for granted. Realistically, if we are going to justify these measures now, we are going to keep going in and out of versions of lockdown and out again, in and out and out again, unless or until we have a vaccine. How many years do you think the British people are going to put up with that? Well, um, you are. Y- your point is, is spot on. We probably are going to yo-yo in and out of different levels of restrictions until a vaccine is available. And I think ministers have to be honest with the public on that front. We need honesty on this. This is We are in this now uh, uh, for a bleak winter. We all hope a vaccine will be, will be dis- uh, discovered and be signed off by the various regulatory authorities um, in the new year and then be distributed throughout the year. Uh, and then when the vac- once the vaccine begins to be distributed, we can begin to get back to some degree of normality. But I think the point you make, it, it, it's, I don't disagree with the with, with the premise of your question. And ministers have to be honest with the British public and make that point as well. We can't have all this, oh, we'll send it back in, it'll all be over by Christmas. You know, I remember Boris Johnson saying, oh, social distancing may be able, may be able to get rid of it by no- November. 
I mean, this is just this is just nonsense stuff. I'm really sorry to say it. Well, isn't it also nonsense? We were told, you know, go into lockdown, spread the virus. I mean, we, we had a specific aim for that lockdown. We achieved that aim. We did flatten the curve. We, did, uh, we didn't see our NHS overwhelmed. And now we're still facing these measures. Perhaps one of the things we should be looking at is shielding the vulnerable and the elderly through the winter months when they're most susceptible. Um, everyone else getting back with social distancing, hand hygiene, masks if necessary, getting back to some semblance of ordinary life. And we shield the most vulnerable, the most risk of dying and getting seriously ill and everyone else gets back to normal life because we are going to be stuck with this virus for the rest of our lives at this point realistically shouldn't we accept that now and get on with it well i mean you're, i mean it's right the virus is here for a long time now i mean it's this is going to be a feature of life and we will we will begin to mitigate it as time goes by i mean we have flu every year we have flu vaccines for example well, they... but i think but i disagree i know the strategy you're outlining which it's an entirely respectable position, but I disagree with it because I don't think it's practical. And I think a lot of people who care for those in the shielding community will still interact with them. And and obviously, you know, there will be still people who are not shielding who will get this virus and can end up with very serious long-term conditions. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Mayor of Greater Manchester, former Health Secretary Andy Burnham joins us now. Good morning to you. Good morning, Good Julia. morning. I love you to speak to you. Well, we have these uh, new traffic light tiers, although, of course, it's sort of amber red and dark red, really, rather than uh, any green. The uh, vast majority of the country is in tier one, facing the same restrictions we've got right now. Medium rule of six, 10pm curfew. Uh, Liverpool region, tier three. Your area, of course, uh, Manchester, tier two is a high uh, measure. Uh, big fears, though, that your uh, region might actually be put into tier three very soon. What are your concerns? My concern is that the government are pressurising places into tier three, but without providing adequate uh, economic support. Um, it will have uh, a real impact here, real harm to our economy if lots of uh, businesses in the hospitality and leisure sector are forced to close. So it'd be different if tier three was coming uh, with it, the proper support, Julia, but it isn't. Uh, and that's, that's, I would say, the problem, the, one of the major problems with it. The second problem is what the chief medical officer said last night, that uh, even if you go for the full tier three option, it's unlikely to work. So it won't even get the results either. So I do think the government's going to have to uh, talk to us about this and come up with a with a better option for areas that that. Um, that it wants to see go further. Well, a lot of the mayors and the council leaders and indeed the MPs representing the, the, the great cities of the north have said that you've been treated really with quite a lot of disrespect, rather high-mindedly by the government. Uh, people being sort of summoned to Zoom meetings five minutes after they've started, reading about things on Twitter. Um, we've had in, uh, Steve Rotherham in Liverpool, the Prime Minister's claiming that they came to an agreement. He said on Twitter, no, we didn't. Uh, the mayor for Liverpool, the city mayor, Joe Anderson, saying that it was uh, locked down by diktat. Um, are you saying you don't agree with the government's measures or are you saying you agree with the government's measures, you just want more money to make up for it? No, I think it's, it's both of those things. They're asking us to accept a lot of pain without necessarily paying for a purpose, i.e. to get the results, because the chief medical officer said last night that he didn't think uh, the tier three measures would be enough. So what I'm saying to you, Julia, is I, I don't want uh, a winter where large parts of the north suffering in tier three, not getting the support that they need and not bringing the cases back down. I, I don't think that is a, a good good way forward, actually, for the country. I, I, I would prefer, if we were given the option, a circuit break, a national circuit break uh, to a sort of ineffective 
underfunded tier three option. Okay, um, and when you say a circuit break, you mean going back to effectively a full lockdown? Well, this is what Sage is saying, isn't it? A shorter, sharper lockdown that would kind of allow everybody to re- to reset things, particularly ahead of the winter. It would give you the time to localise, test and trace, which finally now is being accepted by the government as the right way to go. We've been saying it all year on your programme. Finally, we, we make a breakthrough there. So, you know, a, a national circuit break could allow the resetting of a lot of policies that would actually then put us in a stronger position going forward. I don't think the tier three approach where it will cause substantial economic pain but without getting the results, is going to be the way to go. OK, but, but this is the thing I don't understand. Why anyone thinks of this idea of I mean, circuit breaker? It doesn't break the circuit. It just delays things. Uh, they've suggested, the SAGE advisors, two weeks, uh, you, you know, you cut everyone, go back to sort of March, April time lockdown. Um, and we understand that Boris Johnson had agreed to that. And it was Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, who, who, who frankly, in my view, saved us from it. Um, but they said, you know, and then you go back. And then you effectively, you, you have slower growth for a month, but then you start again. Are you saying that in those two weeks, despite the last six, seven months that the government has had to organise all of this stuff, Public Health England, Test and Trace, everything else, you're saying that within those two weeks, the government's going to get a grip of the Test and Trace system, we're going to be able to isolate all these cases, and we're going to be on top of it? Because I've got to be honest with you, I don't believe that's going to happen for a moment. Well, I don't want a circuit break any more than you do, uh, Julia, and hopefully we won't need it because the, the cases won't rise to a point where it is uh, needed. But if we do need a more serious intervention, I'm saying to you that I think a circuit break would be better than an underfunded, ineffective tier three option. What, what we've learned in Greater Manchester, because bear in mind, we've been under these restrictions for 10 weeks uh, now, is that they are of limited effectiveness. That's the kindest thing I, I could say. They, they have a sort of dampening effect on the number of cases, but they don't drive them back down in the in the other direction. So I, I we're sceptical here that tier three will work, but be, be beyond that, what we had last night was the chief medical officer saying, if tier three is to have any results, you've got to close pubs, restaurants, gyms, bars, nail salons, hair, the whole lot, massive chunk of the economy. But the government are offering support to, to close a massive chunk of the economy. So. I hope you can see our dilemma in some ways, uh, Julia. We're, we're in a bit of a rock and a hard place here. Of course, we will act to protect the health of our residents, but we can't just surrender you know, a huge swathe of our economy to I, collapse. I think, look, I think anyone in the position of having to make any of these decisions is between a rock and a hard place. My heart goes out to, to Boris Johnson, you know, Health Secretary, yourself and others as well. I mean, lucky for us to sit here and, make, and comment and have a view, but not actually have to live with the consequences. And I fully accept that. However, there is just so much evidence that this virus, when it grows, it grows. Look, we had people out doing, you know, eat out to help out throughout the whole of month of August. We had huge swathes of people moving to Cornwall and Devon for weeks on holiday. We have not seen an increase in cases there. Much of the South East, no increase as well. Um, there is every possibility that this virus, even despite the lockdown, Greater Manchester, throughout that whole lockdown period, still had growth in cases. Every possibility this virus is going to spread, how this virus spreads. And all of these human actions that cost millions upon millions, even billions and billions of pounds, will make not a darn bit of difference unless you just lock down in our homes forever and ever. In which case, do you not think it would make sense to look at the Swedish model where they are seeing far, far lower rates right now? It's believed they do now have now developed some herd immunity uh, and actually were uh, stopping the spread of the virus. And that actually the methods we have been using don't work, will not work and are not sustainable in the long run. 
Well, I'm not of that of that view. Uh, I do think you still have to, um, to to contain the virus as best that you can. What I would agree with you, though, on Julia, is that this halfway house model, the tiers model, does not appear to work because you're neither doing one thing nor the other, and I think that's the problem with it. It's it's um, not sufficiently effective. So I think, um, given where we are, I think that the circuit break idea is one that we're going to have to bear in mind. I'm not saying do it now, but I'm saying bear in mind because it also then allows you to put in place what is needed to try and allow us to live our lives, which is a fully functioning test and trace system. That's what we're told, get the cases down to a low level and then start again with a system that's actually going to work rather than the one we've, we've had for months. And Said said last night that we've spent billions on this system and it's of uh, minimal effectiveness. I mean, that is a damning uh, indictment on on what's been done so far. So that's what I'm putting to you. You know, we, we, we kind of almost reset everything and then see if we can uh, do better. And actually, I would be really prepared, Julia, to take responsibility for a localised test and trace system coming out of a circuit break uh, situation where you know, we're on the spot to see if we can do it, do it better. I'd be happy to take that, the accountability that, that comes with that. I think it'd be a better place than where we are okay. now, which is powerless in many ways to act and then just hit constantly with restrictions. That's the worst of all worlds. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.